Here we go, episode 33 of the Hibs Ramble. It's myself, Craig, this week, and it's just Sean with me tonight. How are you doing, Sean? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Yourself? I'm good. It's nice to be recording while it's still light outside. Um, I haven't had that luxury yet. Um, just, just us two tonight. Liam's busy, um, and Mark is on his way back from Dublin um, from a whiskey tasting session with his missus, I think. I hope it was his missus, otherwise I've just landed him in the ship. Um, but aye, there was quite a bit of contentious uh, argument in the group chat on Saturday because Liam, of course, is working in the whiskey business and Mark says that whiskey is absolute pish. Um, Sean's a, a teetotaler, so he can't give an opinion either way, but I side with Mark on this. Not a whiskey fan at all. I thought you were going to come and miss something there, Sean. But <laughs> sorry, I didn't know if you were going to move straight on or no. Uh, based on what I've I've heard, I know a lot of people that actually don't like it at all. So it's a vile taste from what I've been told. Uh, it's a it's a paint stripper for me. Like I just don't know, but I'm not a spirit guy. drinking wise or in my beliefs. Um, but anyway, we'll start. Joe, we'll start with this week because we got a lot of positive feedback last week based off the the opportunity we got to speak to to Ben Kensel and Lee Johnson. Um, firstly, again, we want to thank Adam Tomlinson at Hibs for, for facilitating it. We didn't actually know at the time um, that both uh, Strong Opinion and Down the Slope were going to be before us until we were ready to go. Um, so I think all three podcasts actually done well to kind of get different answers without having to cross, you know, like cross-examine each other to say what we we're going to say. Um, but the feedback that we got, I felt, was was really good for people. Even, um, like, .NET, where we've not really had a presence before, a lot of people were saying that they caught on to it and listened to it and really enjoyed it. So thanks very much for that. Um, I've not actually... Have you went back and listened to it yet? I've not... Uh, yeah, I listened to it. I think... Like, like you said, we didn't know that the other guys were before us, but we also didn't know that both of them were going to have both of them on it until... Yeah, so it was just going right to be best, before. didn't we? Yeah. So uh, I think considering all three of us had the same people on it and we all, in a way, wanted to ask similar questions, I think there's a different... I don't want to say atmosphere because it, that's maybe more of a negative word, but I feel like the way that all three of us approached it, we approached it all in a different way. We got similar answers, but I feel like we all got a little bit more from it as well. And I think um, I've listened to all three of them as well. And I, I think it does actually paint Ben and Lee in a better light, in my opinion, as well, listening to it back. Yeah, I do think that Ben's a really good talker. I think he... <clears throat> you know, he, he receives a lot of flack for being quiet at times, and I actually quite like the fact that he had a bit of a dig, a dig about things. Not necessarily at the other podcasts, more a general view. Things like, um, you know, the club's too quiet. The club doesn't say enough. Um, like, w- what do they want him to say if there's nothing to say at all? Um, and but actually, how, think, how often should you be wanting to hear from a CEO? Do you know what I mean? It's well, never, when, it's, it's, exactly. It's only when things are going wrong that people demand answers for other other people in charge. If everything's right and rosy, then nobody's got anything to... Well, normally, people don't have anything to complain about. Aye. And it was interesting that I think one of the 
I mean, certainly for reading about it on uh, Twitter and that, that people picked up that we got, that we, we didn't even, obviously we're not going for a hatchet job or whatever, we didn't, we didn't want to be, can for them to be spilling beans or for them to be sharing gossip or that. But the thing that was the, the, the one thing that people picked up on that we also picked up on that were a bit like, oh, was the whole code of conduct slash and discipline slash. And it's even thinking about it back now, for me, I still find it quite hard to work out what he meant and potentially who he meant because. To me, that just seems like it was a dressing room that was allowed to run away by it on its own. Maybe under the sort of latter part of Maloney's tenure, um, and then maybe continuing into the start of his, which I find hard to believe given that Stevenson, Hanlon, McGregor and Gray were all still around the dressing room at that point. I was so, I was quite surprised by the comment as well, because I know, I mean, I mentioned it at the time, like after we'd recorded, I know for a fact that they had one. When we got, I, I don't know about before we got relegated because I wasn't that fully involved in the ins and outs of everything that went on off the pitch. But I know for a fact that we had one when we got relegated in the couple of seasons after it and the year that we won the Scottish Cup. I, I am really curious as to know at what point something that I would deem as very, very important to a club dressing room, something like that gets removed and why it gets removed. Um and I think it might have even been a little bit further back than, you know, the Sean Maloney tenure as well. Um, if you if you look back on, albeit we've had a lot of strong influences within the dressing room for a long period of time, some people some people would say we've had them there for too long. But you could even highlight things towards the end of the the Lennon era, um, into the Hecky era, where there was maybe a little bit too much player power within certain cliques. But again. It's all speculation. We don't know. I do like that he came out and said it and called it, and that they've addressed it clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I am. I did kind of rattle my head a wee bit as to who they meant um, and how far back it could have went as well. Aye, because I'm I, I'm still struggling to think because like when you think about um, like a dressing room code of conduct, you think Ken, if you're late, it's a fine. Using your phone as a fine, no wearing sliders or whatever, wearing your trainers, wearing your boots in the changing room and that. And it's can it's usually like a light-hearted kind of thing that they always say goes towards the Christmas fund. Yeah. Or can like they donate it at the end of the season or whatever to charitable causes. But there was a part in it which I think he actually mentioned about having HR involved. Mm-hmm. So is it maybe you're then trying to rattle your brain thinking, but what could possibly be going on? At the club, you know, is it maybe like are they taking it a proper professional approach? Is and if anybody questions the manager, it comes down as like subordination or whatever. Is there now like a a verbal written warning kind of thing that goes on in place at most workplaces? Like, I wonder if they maybe changed the the practice after the whole Lennon and Canberry potential incident. Open brackets, close brackets, and kind of some of the stuff that that came after that. Maybe they did try and change it to a more professional outlook where if there was issues HR got involved instead of the dressing room and the management um, being involved instead to try and take a little bit of pressure off the management and the coaching staff but like you said Gray, Stevenson, Hanlon, McGregor have all been there through that tenure so um, I I would be surprised if over that time it wasn't one of those maybe not Lewis 
but certainly Darren, David or, or Paul that were implementing those kind of code of conduct things as well. So, so really, it was a really interesting thing to, to hear them say, but more importantly, like like we both said before, it's it's good that they've clearly, what well, looks like, resolved it. So, And I think that's leading to what you can see on the park as well, certainly over the last few weeks. Um, I mean, it was good as well with the chat with them, like to get a wee bit of their personalities. I know we'd kind of, um, I'd went back and forward saying, should I address the night before the derby? Should I not do it? And then it was like, Kim, what? I'm just going to do it. And I think he took he took it well. Like, you could tell by his response in that and that he was, Kim, we got a bit of a funny story about him FaceTiming. Kind of he's about half nine and he's in his jammies and that. No, I, I liked it. I think, like I said earlier on, I think each podcast addressed it differently and, and handled it differently. And that's not a criticism of anyone um, because that's the way that certain podcasts deal with interviews and things like that. And again, it's not a criticism. I think it's just the way that the people on it work. I think we done it with Josh and Ethan as well, that we wanted to try and relax them a little bit and try and see their more human side. I think a lot of people forget that those involved with football, whether it be players, coaches, or in Ben's case, a CEO, people forget that they are actually people at the end of it. Ben touches on it in one of his questions as well about criticism and how hard it's been for them personally recently as well. So it was good that we as a, a podcast, I feel that we always try and you know relax the people that we've got and relax the people that we're chatting with and try and get this, the human side of them in. Next thing you know, we could be on the march to Tynecastle with Ben Kenzel by our side. Do you know what I mean? And that probably wouldn't happen if we didn't try and relax them a wee bit at the end and and try and you know bring them out to to be people more than just people in charge of a football club. And Lee Johnson coming up with the most dad joke in history, Ken, and saying that he knows who Lionel Richie's brother was. I know, I know. The thing is, it would have been a long night for them as well, though. I think. I kind of didn't really think about that until the end when we were chatting to them that if they had strong opinion and then down the slope, they would have had a debrief, you know, in between all of those as well. So they would have been on it for a good three or four hours, pretty much just talking about the same stuff. So I think that certainly helped wind it down for them. No, I'd agree. Um, And like we said, we've listened to both uh, Strong Opinion and Down the Slope's podcasts with them and... If you've not already, um, even though we shouldn't really know about encouraging other people to listen, but you do get a different sort of perspective across ours and down the slopes and strong opinions. And it's it's enjoyable to listen to the contrasts between all three, because all three of us kind of go for the same thing, but from a different angle. Um, so I would, I would encourage you to go and listen to them if you haven't already. Um, but moving on from bigging up everybody else, Let's pick up the cabbage. 2-0. Um, a bit of confusion when the team came out, for me anyway, because I wasn't expecting to see Cadden. When, when the team came out, it was like, oh, so Cadden will be right wing in almost where McCurdy was. Very and, similar to the end, the tail end of St Mirren away, aye. Aye, and then the team's lined up and Egan Riley was in the centre of the park alongside Jago. Um, as, soon, as soon as I saw that, I thought, because I, I was the same, I thought it was going to be similar to kind of the end of the St Mirren. I thought Cadden was going to be right wing and stuff like that. And he ended up being there at, at one point, but 
when we started off, I, I was quite surprised, but then I was like, oh, well, it, it makes perfect sense, considering obviously Joe Newell wasn't there. I liked the balance that the two of them gave as well, Jekyll and um, CJ. I think they worked well together as a two. I think we changed formation a couple of times and changed personnel along that back line quite a few times, and thankfully it was, you know, Kamarnock that we were playing, and it allowed us to kind of shuffle about a little bit, and we never really looked exposed at any point. No, you're right, and there was a period, I mean, we're not going to go into the game in great depth, because, to be honest, it wasn't a great game. Um, but saying that, the first half hour, I thought, first 30, 35 minutes was really, really good. Um, some great passages he played, we had a shot cleared off the line. Um, but just noting on the formation change, we did, I think there was a part where it seemed like Kilmarnock were getting a bit more of the ball. Um, they weren't really doing much with it, but they were still getting the ball in areas that were making Hibs think, and... You know, Johnson's been criticised in the past for chopping and changing in a game. But I think you need to give him credit when it worked because he moved CJ back one into a back three and any threat, bar the bar the chance that CJ ended up clearing off the line, I think about a minute to go. Yeah. Um, it snuffed out anything that, that Kilmarnock were trying to do, which probably wasn't helped by um, like the, the red card that they got. Um, I mean, I don't know... <clears throat> just mentioning that first because we're on it I don't know about you but at the time I couldn't even believe that he'd been booked I think where you are behind the Famous Five and where I am in the East it gives it gave us a completely different viewpoint so I saw it from behind yeah. the cell the guy that obviously had the high boot whereas you would have seen it side on, on. Um, I, I saw it and I went oh and then, I, and then he booked it. I was like, right, cool. I, I would have said, from my viewpoint from when I was, I would have said, yellow card, cool, get on with it, done with the game. But I would say a yellow at a push because it doesn't really look like it even connected that much. Um, the players weren't in the referee's face. There wasn't a, there wasn't a like an O around the stadium because it was yeah, a bad... Even Chavar didn't. The way he nah. reacted, we just kind of held it. Like, it's not as if yeah. he went down and he rolled about or whatever. He just kind of got on with it. I think you can you can tell by everyone's opinion, not necessarily on VAR, because it's the, it's not VAR that's the problem. It's the people that are, you know, making the decisions that are the problem, um, for me anyway. I think you can tell everyone's kind of just sick of the inconsistent decisions that teams are getting considering Hibs fans booed the red card. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I don't think, to my recollection, I, I can't remember the last time that a decision went in our favour at Easter Road and the home fans booed it. I don't think. I can't remember a time ever. So it was strange. And I kind, of, I kind of agree. I don't feel sorry for him whatsoever, but I, I agree with McInnes with what McInnes said about it. Like, and instances like that, we are can this this is where the, the whole thing with VAR is if it's a this whole clear and obvious stuff. Like I've watched that clip back and every time I watch it back, the more I think it was the right thing to give him a red. Yeah. Only because I'm watching it over and over again, it's being slowed down and slowed down and slowed down. Yeah. Um for me, that's not a clear and obvious error. You look at things like the Rocky penalty at Tincastle. If they're having to shift through footage and freeze frame for eight minutes, yeah, it's not fucking clear and obvious. And I felt that it just, and I, I did agree with McInnes as well. He spoke to uh, BBC after the game and he was like, 
you can sense in a game where if, if things are going that way, like you can tell kind of there's going to be a dodgy challenger, but there was there was nothing in that game whatsoever. That was one of those games that looking back at times was almost played like a like a friendly. Yeah, I thought that as well. I think McInnes does make a great point. I heard that on BBC as well. Um, you didn't really feel like the, the game was boiling over at any point. No, I think no, up no. until that point, there was only one yellow card. And even then, that that was at a stretch. A game like the last time we had Kilmarnock at home, when Portress and Lafferty were going at it, and it was very heated and things like that, in that kind of environment, you can maybe understand in a weird way why a decision like that would have maybe been given but especially uh the weekend there where like you said the game was played at a very you know i don't want to say a, a poor tempo because the first half we were frightening but i mean the overall outlook on the game wasn't high intensity it wasn't frantic people weren't in each other's faces it was pretty much like a friendly or a training match kind of kind of feel to it yeah, and that's like Easter Road was it was almost silent for the last ten, fifteen minutes. Like there was no no noise like at yeah. all. I think the I think it was, it was because we were two I think because we were two nil up, we pretty much cruised the game. Um I know we'll touch on individual performances and things like that in a sec, but the first half the first half went so so well and I think for me it's one of I can't remember. Obviously, it's hard because we beat we beat Aberdeen six 0 so it's easy to say that that was a better performance. Aberdeen were obviously really, really poor, but I think some of the football that we played in that first half, and the way we knocked the ball about, and we we broke the lines, and we we dragged Kamarnock out of position and things like that, it's some of the best football I've seen Easter Road in a very, very long time. I therefore wasn't actually overly surprised that when we got the second goal so early that the tempo really, really just dropped to very, very slow um, and very passive because the game was won. Kilmarnock weren't coming into it. Kilmarnock didn't really pose a threat for the majority of the game. So it, it was one of those games where we just managed the rest of the, the, the game. Obviously, we could have scored more goals because we created plenty of chances, but the second half was you know, night and day in comparison to the first. Uh, and I think the tempo of the game changed when McGeady went off as well. Um, it definitely didn't look good, and I don't think Cubs have provided much of an update yet. So we just need to wait and see what the what the script of that is. But because we're talking about McGeady, we'll talk about his cross for the big man Will Fish. Like you're not even what six weeks ago we played Hearts at Tynecastle, and everybody's like, "Do not!" He gets whipped off at half time. Do not let that guy be seen anywhere near a Hibs jersey again. He's you know, he's only played, what, three games in the National League down in England. He's nowhere near it. Lee Johnson, obviously the whole situation with Ryan Porteous comes about. Lee Johnson is then quoted as saying that Will Fish is outstanding. Like, if you were looking to build a centre-half in terms of attributes, his size, his strength, his power, his speed, his quality on the ball, he's like, Will, Will Fish is what you'd build. And everybody was like, what are you talking about? And then... He goes and puts in performances like Aberdeen, Ross County, St Mirren and then Kilmarnock. And it's weird given that they weren't, when you talk about teams, like we were never really in trouble in any of those games. 
But for me, that's because Will Fish was snuffing out anything before it even became a thing. Yeah, I completely agree. I think we've obviously touched on the poacher situation, but I feel like obviously since then it has freed up and taken the pressure off a lot of the team, especially the back four. But the Will Fish, Paul Hanlon and, and Jimmy Jagel, the three of them, the last, well, since the Aberdeen game pretty much, have been, you know, key to, to our form. Uh, Will Fish being a main part of that. Um, I think he is a, a massive, massive prospect. I don't think we'll get him on a permanent. We might be able to sneak him on another loan, mm-hmm. but um, he does have a lot of attributes that, that will make him go to the top. And I think, for me, considering he's only just turned 20, he knows what he's good at, and he knows what he needs to do at the right time as well. His ability to read the game at centre-half, anyway, um, at such a young age is, is really, really good to see. And even with him beside Paul Hanlon, he'll be picking up a lot from him as well. And the two of them have complemented each other really well. Yeah. No, I, I 100% agree. And you even see, his, I think it was like four or five times in the first half, he picked out unbelievable diags. Like, yeah. even a couple down that he whipped down the line as well. Um, as I don't think I've seen a player's career at Hibs turn around as quick as what his has. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of it, without knocking uh, Ryan Porteous whatsoever, I think it's now becoming clear that him leaving was best for both parties. Because um, he's obviously got off to a really good start down in Watford as we kind of expected that he would. Yeah. Um but it's also taken the pressure like now we've got two centre defenders who just want to defend and not take the ball for a run or try daft stuff or get involved even get involved with like daft things. Like fishing fishing handling have been <clears throat> outstanding. Like Paul goes to these spells where he looks like he's He's toiling a bit and then he looks like he's got the cigar and slippers out again. Um, and I think the the additions in January as well of CG Gunwale and Jimmy Jago, from a defensive perspective, like CG, like you can you can just see how you were saying about his reading of the game and that for centre half, and then even Egan Riley, like they've came through it to the what potentially now at the moment to the best academies in the world. You've got to give the CG a lot of extra yeah. praise as well because he's already played in three different positions for us. Yeah. Four, if you want to include right wing back. He's played right back, right wing back, centre mid and centre half. Mm-hmm. And he's not looked at his place in any of them. I'm absolutely not surprised that a boy of that quality, considering the feedback that, you know, City fans have given, uh, Pep's given him, and Burnley fans and the way that they big him up, I'm not surprised. I am just really, really happy that he's hit the ground running because a lot of players that come up from down south take a while to bed in and don't get used to it. But obviously, Will Will Fish had a difficult start, and now you're seeing just how good he is. But with CJ, he just thrives under it. He's he's loving it so far. And like I said, he was in the midfield, and the balance with him and Jimmy were were brilliant. He then went to right centre half. He was at centre half, right back. Didn't he look at his place, and he looked really, really strong. All right, and I think it's testament as well because usually. When young, when youth play, I mean, how many times have we seen a, a lone player come in <clears throat> in January for down south and they're on the bench all the time, all the time. They'll come on for 10, 15 minutes and they're back on the bench. Whereas CJ's came in and he's went right into the 
the starting lineup. But no, what was his first? So his first game was Ross County, but he'd yeah. only signed like the day before. Yeah. Um, and then St. Mirren came on and was attacking down the right side and looked good. Yeah, St. Mirren he came in and what you know was horrible conditions. Um, probably just as bad as what they were up in Ross County and didn't look out of place. And then, like you say, his first start at home, playing in centre midfield as well, and he didn't look out of place. Um, and then another one of the January signings, uh, big Matt Hopper got his opportunity uh, thanks to McGeady's injury. Um, I thought he was all right. I think he could. I, looking back, he could have actually had a hat trick yep. as well. He got his goal. He had a second chance very similar to his goal, and the ball breaks him at the edge of the box, and he puts it just past the post. So although the second half tempo wasn't that great. We were still creating plenty of chances, um, and like I said, he could have had a hat trick. He was he played out wide when we changed the shape. He then played through the middle with Yuan. So again, it gives us good versatility going forward. Where you're not with him up top with Yuan. To me, it didn't feel like we were playing two wide players up top together. It just felt like a strikers partnership, albeit they didn't really have that much success because of the, oh, that, that's down to the tempo of the game though um, so yeah he didn't set the game alight but he done a good job got a goal could have done a few more so it's good minutes under the belt for him yeah and it's it's one of those where like as now when you look at the I mean we'll talk about the <clears throat> the next few fixtures in a bit and the players that will potentially have back but it gives Johnson another decision to make you know, in terms of we've now got these players that are coming in, so you've got CJ coming into effectively Newell's spot. You've got Hopper coming on and scoring in Nisbet's position. Um, it's just giving the manager a lot more options. And I, I agree with you, I think he was, unlucky, he was unlucky with the second one that got cleared off the line because his, his foot just kind of got caught. It's yeah. like his foot hit the top of the ball, so he never got a clean connection on it. Um, but again it's one of those where you'd rather them be in the position to miss than not be in the... No, you'd rather them be in the position and miss than them not even be in that area at all. Yeah, I like that we had plenty of people in the box throughout the whole game as well. Um, yeah. Again, that kind of comes back to my point about it didn't really feel like we had wingers playing up front. It was more we had strikers because with wingers, you'd maybe see them drift out wide a little bit more and then you'd have those kind of gaps in the middle when the balls are coming in. There was two or three times where Yuan got to the byline and actually crossed it in. Um, and he was in the box. Ewan Henderson was in the box as well. And we had plenty of people there for any, you know, cutbacks or spillages or anything. So it was really, really good to see. I think his second goal, or not his second goal, but the second goal just sums up that our luck's, you know, changing a little bit. Um, I think five or six weeks ago, that doesn't bounce back into his, into his pathway and then he doesn't score it. Do you know what I mean? Or maybe he's not even there at all. So yeah. it's it's good to see that when our luck's in, it is, um, and along may it continue. Aye, and just because you've mentioned them as well, the other player who is exciting Hibs fans at the moment, but is equally making me fume at times, um, is Ellie Yuan. He was up to it again on Saturday. Um, I'm sure I'm pretty sure you texted me at the time saying you could see the steam coming out my ears because. He's just, he's so exciting to watch. 
but he's so frustrating to watch at the same time. Yeah, see, see for me, and it's, and it's not just horrible tendency to just keep a hold of the ball for far too long. And there was a point where I think we could have countered, and he could have went. There was three running on his left, yeah, and one on his right, and he just stopped. And it's like, what? You just can release the ball, like just there was, ball. that for me summed up the the lack of. It just shows that we're not as clinical as we need to be, and I'm hoping that it obviously doesn't come back and bite us in the arse because the amount of chances that we had, both in the first half and in the second half, where, yes, maybe we got a shot off or maybe we made it into the final third, but that just that last touch, we either took an extra touch or we played an extra pass. And Yuan was involved in a lot of it, um, whether it be creating it or being the one making the extra touch. As good as he is, he does really, really frustrate me. There was maybe, there was at least four occasions where he held on to it too long. Yeah. Uh, done an extra dribble. Thankfully for him, a couple of times it came off, but um, a couple of times it didn't. The one that you're talking about where he released it, it didn't release it. Sorry, but should have released it. There was a couple of other times where we should have went left. It should have went right instead of left. Um, really, really frustrating as well. And you could even go back to the the Ewan Henderson chance in the first half where we counter and we he breaks it, he breaks the ball down just past the halfway line, steals it off the defender, runs through, there's a chance to slip Ewan in, but he doesn't take that chance. And because he doesn't take it, he takes an extra touch, which then completely takes Ewan out of the picture, meaning that Henderson needs to take the shot as well. Yeah. So I felt like there was quite a few instances like that, which at the moment we can get away with because mm. we are taking some of them. But against especially the teams that we're coming up against in the next three or four weeks, we can't afford to expect to get a second chance in front of goal or get that extra touch. So hopefully in a couple of weeks' time, we're not talking about how you know we're not clinical enough and it costing us, whereas at the moment, it's it's not. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, when you look at just because you're talking about the games coming up, I mean, the run of form since we came back... I mean, initially for the World Cup break, but no sort of going as far back as that. Um, like since the start of the year, so during, you know, in the start of January when we were like, we need to sign everybody and get rid of everybody. Um, since the Hearts game, we're unbeaten in six in the league. Um, obviously winning away at Motherwell, that's no for every team, by the way. Only certain teams can manage that. And then we've obviously had the Cup game, which hasn't really derailed us in the league because we've then, you know, won three of the... Uh, following four games and it's massive that this this Livingston game when we come back for this other reinforced break is is absolutely huge because it leads us into a fortnight window where we'll, our season could potentially hinge on these three games we've got Livingston and Celtic away either side the uh, Rangers at home and I hate this. I hate the the phrase a free hit because you should never chance the old firm as a free hit. Like it's still especially not But the important one for us is Livingston because that's the that's the real opportunity to put. Um, I know a lot of people are talking about you know winding Hearts fans up, saying that it's only five points. And to be fair, you need to give Hibs a lot of credit because it was only three four weeks ago that people were putting money on Hibs to finish in the playoffs. So, for one, get it up there and how daft they, they should feel now. Um, but also, like if, if we can get 
three points away at Livingston, which is never an easy place for us to go. Like it's it's a horrible stadium for us to go to. It starts to put daylight between us and those underneath us, and really solidifies that. I mean, if we can end the season in fourth, at a minimum, given all the turmoil we've went through at times during the season. You'd have to class it as a success, but we need to be going to places like Livingston and coming away with three points. Yeah, completely agree. Um, I think for me, this fixture will define where we could finish because a lot of people won't expect us to get anything off Celtic. I actually do expect us to get something off Rangers at home because it's midweek and it's it's uh, it's a night game. I feel like we'll be up for it regardless of the, the Livingston um, result and yeah you're right it is a tough place to go um, I'm not sure who we play after Celtic I can't remember because that's like five weeks away or something like that but yes. I, know, I don't know how the fixtures are working out like that but between it's how... you've got the you've got this cup game and then you've got the Scottish Cup um, and then you've got an international break as well so between now and the split it's really it really breaks it up, which is frustrating for a team like us because we're on a bit of a run at the moment. But again, Johnson might potentially see it as a benefit about getting you know players back and things like that. Yeah, so we've got Livingston and then Rangers and then Celtic and then we've got Motherwell, Heart, eh, we've got Motherwell at home, Dundee United away, Hearts at home, St Johnston away. And then that's it, the split, yeah. Then the split. So yeah. I'm the same. I fancy us to take something off eh, Rangers. Uh, I fancy us to take something off either Rangers or Celtic. Um, Celtic is going to be really, really hard, obviously, but I don't know. There's just there's something about the run that we're on that makes me think that we can fans that we can get um, we can get something off them. So moving away from the sort of fixtures and whatnot, the Hibs have obviously announced the new season tickets uh, today, which I feel is really early. Um, really, really early for Hibs to do it. I don't know if it's just a case of them um, wanting to capitalise on the on the good form that we're on. I know that they usually get announced about this time, but they don't usually start being available until the end of March. I found I found it funny because I was actually thinking about um, season ticket renewals a couple of weeks ago, and it had nothing to do with the fact that it's we're at that point in the season where they could be announcing it. I thought about it because of our good running form, and that's the only reason I thought that it might be coming up soon, because I had a look at our fixtures. We've got Livy away, and then obviously we've got Celtic and Rangers, and in between all that, you've got these long breaks as well. Yeah. So when I saw the post last night, I wasn't surprised in any way to, to think that it was going to be season ticket related. I mean, the club aren't daft. Um, they are releasing it at a time where we're on an unbeaten run. Listen, we'll still get about thirteen thousand renewals, I think. Like, it, I thought we would get less this season, and we ended up getting more than we did the year before. So it just always seems to seems to happen. Um, they've played their cards very well. They've got it out now. You've got ten days until the Livy game, and even if we get something for the Livy game, you've then got the Rangers game. If we get something for that, you've then got another break again. So. Yeah. It's a good time for the club to release it. I think if they didn't release it now, 
they would maybe lose a little bit less hype, if that makes sense. Although yeah, I yeah. still think we'll get about the 13,000. If we then go and lose to Livy and then lose to Rangers, then lose to Celtic, when would they put it out? Because yeah. we've then got Motherwell, and then by that point you're already in end of March, April, and then it's too late to put it out for deadlines and stuff. So uh, from a commercial perspective, um, it makes perfect sense, and I completely understand why they've put it out now. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think one there has been a slight price increase across the board, and it looks like they've removed a child's option as well. So it's now just under 13s, like up to under 13s, mm-hmm. which should you really be paying the same for a like so I mean this will be the last year that I'll like an under, an under five years you mean yeah so what yeah. like there should be like a t- almost like a tier price in like zero to five five to twelve thirteen to seventeen then eighteen um I mean it's uh, this will be the last year that I can get an under thirteens one for Alfie so I'll be making the most of it um but I still I think you know there's been slight price increases across the board I think it's a difficult one to judge for the club in this day and age because everybody's costs have went up, but by the same token, so of the clubs. Yeah. It's a it's a hard one to get right. I think they've kept it minimal where they can in places. I think it's maybe ten to thirty quid across the board, um, which spread over eighteen home games isn't a lot. Um, I know I'll be. I use the direct debit option, which I think is really good. Lets you pay it up and. Uh, six instalments, then that's you. Um, can for those of us who probably didn't have that disposable income to spend five hundred quid up front on season tickets when you've got everything else at the moment. Um, one area of contention though has been that there's still the family section in the famous five lore, and um, the block seven boys who've trialed. I don't even know, you want to say it's a trial, but they've been given. You know, they were given the option for the European Youth Games to go into the famous five and into the lower section we were in it once we were in it for the nonce game um the drumming that sitting beside it is no for me that's just because i'm i'm old and boring but i mean we've had the boys in the podcast they're very enthusiastic about it you know they're, they're traveling their numbers to away games um you know they've got a significant presence building now at easter road and there's from what I've seen anyway, there's been a great deal of frustration that they've not been moved into the famous five lower behind the goals. Now, there's a lot of... Clearly, there's the club support Block 7 and what they're wanting to do. You know, they give them a lot of exposure on social media, um, you know, in terms of, like, for the march and stuff. They were taking videos for the march and putting it up. The take their clips from, you know, games and stuff and, and put their, uh, put it up on the socials. So it's not as if the club are hiding, you know, a lot of clubs like Celtic would never promote anything to do with the Green Brigade, for example, or Rangers with, the, with their Union Bears. But... And Hearts this, have yet to do anything with their Gorgie boys as well. Yeah, well, they've not even got anywhere that they can sit because they've kind yeah. of established themselves mid, well, like sort of in the start, after the start of the season. Um... But I, I don't know what what the what your thoughts. See, see for me, right? I think don't get me wrong. I'm a I, I'm a huge fan of safe standing and singing sections if it's done correctly. I think we could be onto something with the blocks of boys. But I think patience is key for this for me. 
Um, it was never going to be, in my opinion, it was never going to be, right, you've been in the, the East for one season, let's get you moved over. Um, it, there's a lot, and I mean a lot of variables around it. Yeah. Um, especially from a club perspective. So Famous Five Lore at the moment is family only. So theoretically, you can only sit in the Famous Five Lore if you are part of a family package or have an underage season ticket of some form. I, th- I think um, there's an elderly one allowed in there as part of the package, but there has to be a, y- a youth or a young season ticket um, in there. My season ticket was in there, and this is going back about four or five years now, and we got a letter to say that because there wasn't anyone under a specific age now buying a season ticket within our family group, we had to move. Yep. And albeit we were renewing all the season tickets, we were renewing all, all five of them, but because none of them were of what they deemed as a youth age anymore, so an under 18, we couldn't sit in the famous five lower. So the club have been great with Block 7 and giving them a lot of exposure and giving them the, the youth games behind there. It wouldn't surprise me if the League Cup um, at the beginning in the summer, um, it wouldn't surprise me if they're given the League Cup games either. What I would say to either the Block 7 boys or the fan base as a whole is I would just encourage them to keep doing what they're doing in a positive manner and just remain in conversation with the club and keep everything sweet and do all the right things. Because for me, it was never going to happen overnight. Um, and like I said earlier on, patience is key for this because I don't know if the boys will know, but maybe people in the Famous Five lore have been made aware that they're planning on doing it. Maybe the people in the Famous Five lore have had a vote and it's then up to the people that sit there just now to decide what happens. The club can't just up sticks and move a thousand people because one, where are you going to put them? And two, they might just not want to move. So they might have now put a limit on people sitting in that specific block as well. Um, like I said, there's loads of stuff. They could now say that if you're un- if you're over a certain age or if you have an adult season ticket, you now can't sit there or whatever. They could, over a small period of time, be trying to create that space. But at the same time, no disrespect to Block 7, but what if they're not around in two or three years? Or they change hands again, like the since 1875 boys or the Section 43 boys. The club need to play it safe as well. So from a Block 7 perspective, for me, they need to just keep doing what they're doing and do the right things um, and basically just keep everything sweet and be very, very patient. It will happen, and I think it will happen, because the club wouldn't be giving them the exposure that they're getting if they weren't. It just wasn't going to happen overnight. They've only been about one season. They're in that section just now. Keep doing what you're doing. And then hopefully maybe next season you can continue talks and there might be a space that opens up. I just don't know. I think it's, it is a difficult one because, I mean, you see you see what they can do, um, you know, with the Dortmund game, for example, the Nantes game, the Mulder game. And there's no doubt that, I mean, we had Josh and when we had Josh and Ethan on, they said that they loved it. You know, like being able to play in front of what felt like a proper crowd. Um which is something that they wouldn't have never have been experienced to. Uh, obviously, there would have been a crowd there, but no, with a, effectively a singing section. Yeah. Um, 
the whole you you know Hibs can't just up and move people like I've my opinion on that is that the club owns the seat not the person mm-hmm. and you know in the last 30 years the you know my granddad when he went to games he stood in the east and then when the famous five got built he moved over there there would have been people who were in the terrace and who did not want the terrace to go yeah there would have been people in the west who did not want the west to go when that got redone so there is i think there needs to be a you know a broader look at the bigger picture although those games that the section was filled was tickets for a fiver so are they going to get the same type of response when you're asking people to commit two three hundred quid for a season ticket yeah i know i do think there is merit in giving them the middle block but and keeping the outer sides of the famous five a family bit only because you're going to get kids more likely to join in with the singing and the clapping and the cheering than what you are adults the only then issue is is that if they make a safe standing area obviously the block seven boys even where they are just now they stand for the whole game yeah whoever sits in the next column well the next block of seats they're not going to see if things happen at either touchline because the block seven boys are standing. I I do think there's merit in moving them. Um completely. I do I do wholeheartedly agree with their frustrations as well because where they are placed at the moment is like they're, they're Yeah, I mean I can I, I sit in the I sit in the middle of the east and I can barely hear them. Yeah so that's unfortunate. All I could hear on Saturday was the drum and you're asking a group of 50, 60 boys who didn't stop during the game, but it's it's how do they then encourage those beside them to join in and then it spreads? Because then when it starts there, it'll go like wildfire and it just continues all the way around. Yeah, I, um, think, I think the club will have a concern as well, and this is no gripe at the Block 7 boys in any way, shape or form, but unfortunately, with singing sections and stuff like that, you do get some idiots and I'm not saying they are part of Block 7, I'm not saying that at all, but there was instances, and there has been instances throughout the season with flares and stuff like that, it just generates people to want to go towards them, and sometimes it can cause bother. Now, like I said, I'm not I'm not putting the blame on Block 7 in any way, because I feel like they have been a great addition, addition to the club, and I think they can do a lot of good stuff, um, and I enjoy what they do and what they bring to the club. But with that, from a club's perspective, you're always going to have issues that maybe follow you. I yeah, saw that after the, the, the Dortmund game that when the final whistle of the Dortmund game went, people were trying to jump over the barrier to have a go, have a square go with the Dortmund players. Like, I'm not saying it was someone in Block 7 that done that because I don't know, I wasn't close enough, but little instances like that isn't going to help their case, whether it is them or not. Mm-hmm. And from time to time, I mean, I think the replay Aberdeen and a flare got thrown on the pitch. Like, again, I don't know where that came from. I'm not blaming Block 7. I can't make that clear enough. But it came from that area, whether it was them or not. So the club will continue to have reservations with something like that unless the right things are getting done. And I think that Block 7 are doing the right things to help the club as well. And the club just now need to maybe give a little bit of wee-wee, leeway to help them out which will in turn help the club. Yeah, it's, like we've said, it's, um, 
it is difficult for all parties concerned because you will have people in the famous five who want you know I've, I've sat in that seat since the stand was built um you will have because then the issue is if you move that middle blocker that sits say what 600 people where are you putting them yeah maybe they didn't want to go and sit in the where do you move the people in the west that are where do you move the people like it's logistically for hibs i can imagine it's a total nightmare um for block seven as well logistically where they are is a nightmare because it's hard for them to generate any type of atmosphere when they're stuck literally stuck yeah. away in the corner of the east like even the, the like thing the is you, you, couldn't even, you couldn't have the famous five as a family stand at all like the lower you just couldn't have it as a family stand if they move them no in my exactly so again where does that leave everybody else but i when you look on the on the face of it, like I do have a lot of sympathy for the Block Seven boys because I do think if they were in an area like the Famous Five lower, they would naturally attract more people because of their location. I think it'll be quite hard for them at the moment to expand their potential member member base. If that's you know when we when we spoke to them, that's what they said. You know they were wanting people to come and join, but do it in the right way. I mean I had an instance when I sat next to them where I seen a flare getting thrown on. And, you know, I, I called it out on Twitter and they came back to me directly saying it came, came from behind them. That's what I'm, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, it, someone it, we're not totally saying it's them. Somebody, somebody who was totally neutral to it actually reached out to me on Twitter saying it came from behind him and he's not in Block 7. Yeah. And it was only, he only threw it himself um, because it landed at his feet and his brother is asthmatic. Mm-hmm. So again, it's came from someone that wasn't involved. So that that's the key thing for for Block Seven is how, and it's a nightmare how to distinguish themselves from those who will go to games and will be a bit rowdy because they're around the Block Seven boys. Yeah. But then as soon as the game finishes, they'll fuck off home, and then yeah. it's left to those boys to then pick up the pieces. I don't know how they police that themselves. It must it'll be quite hard for them to police it themselves, but. I do share a lot of sympathies with them and I can certainly agree with the wider consensus of the Hibs support that it's poor that they're going to be stuck in that area of the stadium again because it's hard for them to do anything. Yeah. I think the the Famous Five Lord does a lot of family events as well where they have like little games going on for the kids. So like if Block 7 got moved there, like you potentially couldn't have that stuff on anymore and you couldn't have it in the West because the West is split in two really Mm -hmm. as well. I do feel like the West Lower should be the family stand, but again, you can't then do events like what I've just said because of the tunnel and and stuff like that. You can't move them to the south because you don't. You certainly don't want kids. No disrespect to any away fans, but away fans aren't there to be respectful to kids. So if well, you've got family stand uh, in the south, the Dundee, it's not game. the Dundee United game that was the Hibs kids game. Yeah. Um, and there was grown men throwing stuff at kids. Exactly. Right? Yeah, so that's just a no starter as well. It is, it's frustrating, but like I said earlier on, and I, I know it might seem quite hard for the Block Seven boys, but for me, patience is, is, is all that's needed. It was never going to happen overnight, and by overnight, I mean one season. You need to be consistent and you need to be good at what you're doing for a long period of time to be backed. So, um, patience, lads, and hopefully you get your move. Yeah, it's. Again, from my own opinion, I think it's harsh. 
that they're going to be stuck where they are. Um, not to say necessarily that they should go in the famous five lower right away, but I do think that an alternative could have been made even even back up in the famous five upper. I know it wasn't great um, when the, since, since 1875 boys were up there, and I think that killed a lot of their momentum um, when they got moved up there. But it's, I think anywhere would be better than where they are just now because they're, they're at the arse end. Yeah, I can also understand but, but also, why they're there, though. They are end of where people are watching the game in the second half. Yeah. Even if they were moved to the same section in the in the east, they're reaching more of the support. Yeah. They're as far away as they could possibly be from the for the famous five, and they're also closer to what is sometimes a quieter section of the west. So even if they went up to the other the other end of the east, they're right next to the famous five. They've got the the more populous area of the west directly opposite them as well. Yeah. I just think that for now, whilst you know whether it be consultations or whatever or opinions are canvassed on moving them to the famous five lower, however that would go, or even look at what is the most sparse section of the famous five lower and put them there rather than maybe not having them directly behind the goals because it, it, even then if they're in that area of the famous five it's better for them they can grow then they can grow and also i think initially they're not disturbing disturbing is the wrong word but like i said if you put them slap bang in the middle and they stand for the whole game the two sections either side can they see if you put them in the corner of the famous five whether it be at the east or the west stand that corner they're not inconveniencing other fans and Again, it'll lend other people to maybe go and join them. Um, but we've we've had the Block Seven boys on uh, earlier on. We are we're big fans of them. Uh, we think what they're doing to to continue to enhance the atmosphere at Easter Road is great, and we hope that over time that they get their they get their own dedicated section, ideally for them in the Famous Five, which I think over time, especially if you put the rail seating in or whatever, it just over time, you put them in the middle, they just grow either side. Like you see what's happened with Celtic, uh, with the Green Brigade, where they started off at the bottom, and now they've got almost that whole corner at Celtic Park. Um, so we definitely feel sorry for them. Um, and, you know, for me, if they put it out to a wider support sort of canvassing opinion, I'd certainly be in favour of of moving them, which I think the, the survey that was done would have indicated that, but that doesn't seem like it's actually went anywhere. Um, so I know much more we can really say on on them other than our own opinions. And my opinion is that it's harsh and that I would have liked to have seen them moved elsewhere if it could have been facilitated. And if it's not facilitated for this season, um, they definitely need to be having some solid conversations with the club moving forward next season to then see what can be implemented for the start of 24-25. Yep. So we'll just start to wrap up, Sean, because that's kind of we weren't planning on talking about that, and I don't know why. But we'll just um, we'll go through the favorite everybody's favorite section, which is the questions. Um, and I hope that John appreciates that we put his question to to Liam Ben last week, although I didn't enjoy their answer. It was very like shreddies and grapes. Come on, boys, they do better. Well, if they have the one, they'll know what's coming next time, so they better prepare themselves next time round. Yep. 
so we'll start with what we always start with. Um, for John, what's for dinner? He was having chicken balmoral and include a photo. And what's everyone's updated predictions for player of the season and where will we finish? We'll leave the second part of that for when Liam and Mark are back because it'd be good for all of us to to sort of go through that and see where we thought we would be compared to where we are. So, I, Sean, what's for your tea tonight? Uh, uh, Chinese chicken curry. Mm, so rice instead of pasta? <laughs> yes. Makes a change. Mine's is a, it's a wee like a tikka masala thing that you can get for Tesco. Mm-hmm. Wee packaged one. It's actually really nice. Safe, I like it. Because I cannot stand any spice whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Absolute child like that. Uh, Kev's asking, seven games before the split. How many points do you reckon we'll pick up? Personally, I think we should be aiming for 12 to 13. Um, again, what we'll do is we'll do a pod next week, obviously because we've got a break, and we'll pick up things like that um, with uh, Liam and Mark because, again, it'd be good to get all of our, all of our thoughts on that. Um, and he's also, who do you want to see relegated and promoted from the league at the end of the season? I want to see, I want to see Queen's Park promoted. I don't know if it'll happen, but I want to see Queen's Park promoted. Um, like the shite away day. No. I think it'd just be good for good for them and good for Scottish football that it's somebody a bit different, that's all more than anything else. Um and I want Ross County to get relegated. For Don't like them as a club. Because of their manager. I mean that certainly plays a part, but um I just I just I don't know, I just don't like playing them at home, I don't like playing them away. Um it's just a just a dire game, really. Um and yeah, I want Queen's Park to, to come up. I'd like Dundee to come up as well via the, the playoffs. Um Dundee's obviously always a good away day, but again that would mean that two people would need to go down if it was those two going up. So and I couldn't really stand Dundee United, Kelly or Motherwell going down because I like those I like all those away games and I like St Johnston away as well. So I'd see they St Johnston for me. Like I just can't stand them. I I just I like I like the day though. I like I like the away game. Small tin pot club, multicoloured seats, selling out their ground to Rangers, like It'd be a big ask for them to go down considering they're ten points off the drop, but it would be very, very pleasing to see. And the fact that the McDermott Park is fucking horrific for us most of the time. Like, I would just rather see them go down. Coming up, I mean, I didn't even care how the promotion places look. You've got got Queen's Park top, you've got Dundee second, then you've got Ayr, Greenock and Partick Thistle all a couple of points apart. Go Ayr. Ayr would be good. Ayr's uh, Somerset Park's probably one of the last real throwback Mm. Original grounds, um, so it'd be good. I'd quite like to see air, say air and Dundee via the playoffs, and then St Johnston and Ross County go down, because then we'd have an Ayrshire derby, Dundee derby, Inverness derby. That would be good. Agreed. The the wee Glasgow derby. Um. <clears throat> next, we've got Dougie. How many points do we get out of the next three games? Levy Rangers and Celtic. Again, we'll cover that. With those those uh, three games in particular, we've actually kind of already said and touched on by now anyway. So, but yeah, we'll do a bigger piece. Minimum, we'll just quickly minimum. We need six. I feel that's what we need. What I think consi- considering Hearts play one of the old firm as well, um, I feel like six or seven is a need uh, or a must 
but I think a, I think four. I think a four is is probably acceptable. Anything less than four, and you're you're probably still unhappy. Yeah. Uh, would you sign you in permanently for the supposed agreed fee, seven hundred k? Do you well if you listened to the podcast last week? You would have heard that I would have told Lee Johnson to sign him and pay whatever the fee is. <laughs> so that's our opinion. Um, how good was CJ yesterday? Well, this was on Sunday. So how good was CJ on Saturday? He has a big future ahead of him. So many players that Rolls Royce it yesterday. What a question that is, Gav. Do you, oh, Gav? Do uses think it's do you think Gav? Not uses. Uh, think the impact of Jago on the midfield has made us better. Mo, we've missed a player like him since Bartley. Aye, and there's been a lot of Jago slander on the TL over the past couple of days, which I'm not here for whatsoever. Um, we are not in a position to be having players like Rodri who can defend and move the ball about. Like, Jago has... What Jago has done is more important than what he can do on the ball and that he's allowed the players that are good on the ball to go and do what they can do, knowing that they've got that bit of defensive solidity behind them. So I'm I'm more than happy with, with how Jago's been since he came in. Yeah, I think a lot of people need to either get off FM or get off FIFA or maybe just stop watching Champions League football if you expect a club like Hibs to get a a Rodri, a Casemiro, a Thomas Partey, um, players like that and expect them to be able to do everything. I think what Jimmy Jago brings to this Hibs squad um, is vital and if you're unable to see what he's able to bring to the squad, then you don't know ball. Because you just need to look at the rest of the, the midfielders that he's got around them and how good they've been. I mean, you can even take Ewan Henderson yesterday, uh, no, yesterday on Saturday as a prime example and how good he was, especially in the first half. Every single person that comes in and plays beside Jago is a lot better than what we were before we had Jago. Um, yeah. And that's no coincidence. Technically got an assist on Saturday Correct. as well. So. Correct. Technically and obviously heavily inverted commas. So, uh, Jimmy Jekyll Supporters Club flag will be getting ordered. <laughs> Haley's got two questions. We don't usually allow it, Haley, but seeing uh, as for when he's your brother, have the pie standards stayed to your review or have they slipped? He gave a famous five on a seven point five. Well, that's low. The I think he mean I think that means seven point five out of ten. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised considering the pies that we've had on. Men's match day, Easter Road, a 7.5 wouldn't actually surprise me. The only time I've had a good pie Easter Road has been on the, the youth European games. Every other one on actual men's match day has been piss poor. So, depends what pie you had, Haley, because we review the steak and gravy ones, or like whatever the alternative is compared to the standard scotch pie. Since that game that Liam missed... And I was with Sean and I thought I'd get two pies in Liam's absence. I've actually moved away for the steak onto the scotch and I'm actually enjoying them. And I've even converted Alfie onto the scotch ones as well. And he's typically a, a steak and gravy man. So, seeing as I've moved pies, I'm enjoying them more. But I, it's no fair to the pie review because it's no what we're reviewing. Fair. Which is a bit of a long-winded answer. It's just like no, I suppose. Hmm. I am enjoying the scotch, so uh, if you're in the famous fire, give the scotch ones a go because they're actually they're actually not bad to know. Um, and here's what she's asked as well, that's which was I kind of wanted to talk about before, but I knew we had this question. 
and as Hop, who would who would have who you would have given man of the match to, Fish was outstanding. I was baffled when Hop got the man of the match. I so was Hop, I. Yeah, so was I. I think you've Hop got you've got to remember it comes from a it's like a sponsor. Do you know what I mean? So traditionally, it does normally get given to a scorer. Um, he was Hop wasn't even in the top three or four top performance for me at the weekend. So no, I wouldn't have given it to him. Um, and I probably would have given it, given it to Fish. Fish, aye. Fish or, Fish or CJ, for me, it was a toss-up between the two, I think. Um, or Ewan, just purely for his ability to excite and frustrate in equal measures. Um, Lorenzo is asking uh, a couple of things. For my birthday present, could you ask the board to sign Fish permanently and make Ewan sign a contract where it's written he needs to pass the ball sometimes? <laughs> Both enjoy that. Um, and like I said, Lorenzo's mentioned it's his birthday on Tuesday, so we're recording this Monday. So happy birthday tomorrow, mate, when it comes. Hope, uh, I was going to say, hope Santa's good to you, but Santa's Christmas. So I hope the birthday gods are good to you. Uh, what should I buy from the club store? I mean, if you've not already bought this year's third blackout strip, I would be expecting you to buy that, Lorenzo. Well, that's sold out. I Is think. it? Yeah. Oh. I would well, suggest... Hit me up, Lorenzo. I might be able to get one for you. I would suggest a happy 30th birthday... Uh, Sean Nicholl produced photo signed by David Gray of the commentary of the cup final word for word but those are bespoke <laughs> Can, Sean um, Nicholl shout out there, love that uh, Sean Nicholl who is a great artist by the way if you've not seen his work some of his uh, cup final stuff was absolutely outstanding and like I said he was good enough to to sign that for me, it was a gift from a uh, gift for the boys from Atheria which was last two years ago, come no, last year, I last year, no, two years ago this year. Jeez, oh, getting old. Um, but I, so what should they buy? I wonder if the Hibs Club does slippers. Get me a pair of slippers for rocking about this. I or a onesie or what? No, what are they called these days? A hood? No, what are they? Well, they're di- they're different. You got a onesie and a hoodie, and Lee Johnson was promoting them because he was a wearing it the night before the derby. An hoodie they're called. The big like bed sheets with a hood on them. Yeah. Hoodies, I think they're called. Get one of them. Uh, Roddy's saying, how good was uh, CG Egan Riley? Thought the lad was our man of the match. His reading of the game is excellent for a 20-year-old. We'd love Hibs to try and make the move permanent. Um, I can't see that happening. As much as we'd love it, same bracket as Fish. I think he's might have a chance with another loan. Um, but, but we would also need Burnley to go up for that to happen. Yeah, permanently. Well, they look like they're running away with the league, aren't they? Yeah. Um, Ewan's asking, ideal world, you can pick two loan signings to make permanent. Who do you take? Oh. Fish, fish for me is is one of them. Fish and um, you, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I would go fish and you, and I would I would probably end up changing that to CJ and Yuan. Um, but well, CJ's just in the door, so. Aye, and then you need can I forget Miko as well? Aye, I know, I know, but I think go. I think for me, it's a lot harder to find someone as good as Will Fish, or potentially as good as Will Fish and CJ, and being that good, especially from CJ's perspective, ver- versatile, than it is to find a good striker or a good forward. You know, Aye. they're a dime a dozen. No, I agree. Um, if Nisbet goes for a decent amount, this is for John Tolmy. If Nisbet goes for a decent amount, along with getting some others at the door, who would you like to see us bring in or keep from loan? I don't like doing this, um, trying to pick players who are out there to think who you would fit, because you could counter, you could counter argue for everybody. 
yeah. who could potentially be available for us. But loan-wise, if there was a way we could keep all the loan signings, I would bite your hand off for it. But I can't, I can't see it. Um, and then finally, from Billy Sterling is asking just a wee bit of a sideways one. Our favourite away kit colour. Uh, the so green and the, the green and purple stripes. For the connoisseur of Sean's type, because he's a collector. Um, what was your I was Sean? If that's, I was wondering if that's why you left the question to last. If I'm honest, so yeah. Um, nah, for me, green and green and purple stripes. Um, is is by far and away the the best or a purple strip and i mean a pure purple not like the wee tacky purple that we got at the early 2010s aye that lilac one was horrible eh i was thinking most of the puma kits were to be fair i didn't like the nike one that we had either that wasn't a proper purple one for me uh we won the cup but it had like the electric plus that was more like that was a man city template for the year before eh do you know what i mean for me I don't know. I do like a yellow kit, but I associate that because that's I associate that that's a nostalgic thing, like the the Carlsberg the Cox Sportif one. Yeah, with the uh, collar. Yeah, and then the one that we had the the first season that like um, Riordan and that were breaking through properly breaking through with the central badge. Yeah, Liam's favourite on the sleeve, but. Um, Purple. I think it's got to be purple. The the late nineties mitre is the goat for me. That that template as well with the, the strip colour and that. I don't think I think it's hard to beat that. Uh, I know it's really really good. I think um, we're getting to that time of year where you're going to start getting a lot of chat around strips and things like that as well. So I think it's probably a good time to plug my ramble de- debut. Back in episode nine, me and Liam done a definitive top ten Hibs strips. So if you've not listened to that already, go give it a listen. Um, mine and Liam's opinions are vastly different as well. So uh, certainly worth a good good watch or listen. And if you watch it on YouTube, Liam put wee pictures of the strips in the corner for those that don't quite remember them. So go give it a watch. Episode nine, was it that long? 20? Episode nine, that was my ramble debut. Jeez, oh, what a slog it's been, man. We're only at episode 33. <laughs> hey, we've had some stinkers since then, but we've also had some crackers. Aye, and the crackers will keep coming. Um, so we'll wrap up for the day. Like I said, we'll come back next week because we've got a break and we'll do more of a, maybe a window review slash end of the season preview kind of thing. Um, and we'll come back to a couple of the questions like how many points do we think we'll get? And we'll do a bit of, we'll do a bit of fantasy booking in that where we could end up because I know a lot of people are making noises about us potentially challenging for third and it's never over till it's over. We've got I've got my Euro- European dates booked off, off work already so let's go. We're on our way. <laughs> right, we'll wrap up there Sean. Thanks very much. As always we say it because there's only two of us it'll be a nice short one and it never ends up being like that so thanks again everybody for listening. Um, share the pod on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, etc. Give us a like, give us a follow, interact with us. We do like hearing questions and folks' opinions, etc. So keep those coming and we'll see you again next week. Thank you very much. Cheers, cheers. Cheers.